This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Wednesday, September the 7th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, we get to introduce you to a brand new columnist on this show. It's John Lopke, who will be joining us from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Been doing a lot of goodbyes the last couple of weeks, so it's nice to do a hello. You'll also hear from Kelly Braun Johnson, who will explore the importance of creating a work-life balance for parents during back-to-school season. And Derek Lackey will describe an upcoming CNIB orientation session about guide dog rights. It is indeed Guide Dog Access Awareness Month, so nice to follow up on Derek with that one. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. The manhunt continues for a suspect involved in the series of attacks in Saskatchewan. Bill Graveland has the latest. Anderson continues to elude police after 10 people were stabbed to death and 18 others injured on the James Smith Cree Nation and the nearby community of Weldon on Sunday. Regina Police Chief Evan Bray initially believed Sanderson was in his city. We've received information that is leading us to believe he may no longer be in this community. As a result, investigations continue. Bray says the search will still continue in Regina, but expand throughout the province of Saskatchewan as well. Bill Graveland, the Canadian Press, Regina. Let's turn to economic news. The Bank of Canada is expected to announce it will be raising its key interest rate today. Emily Javesky looks ahead. Some Canadian banks are expecting the Bank of Canada to increase its key rate by three-quarters of a percentage point, bringing it to 3.25% in an effort to cool sky-high inflation. The rate hikes will feed into other lending rates, making it more expensive for Canadians and businesses to borrow money. Canada's year-over-year inflation rate was 7.6% in July, well above the central bank's 2% target. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. Of course, the context that matters, though, it also went down month over month, the interest rate. So yes, inflation has indeed skyrocketed, but it has stabilized. We'll get this announcement. Usually it comes from Tiff Macklin, the governor of the Bank of Canada, just after 10 p.m. at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So we should be able to share that news with you when it breaks. Let's go to the world of politics, where federal cabinet ministers are in Vancouver for a three-day retreat as they prepare for a fall sitting of parliament. Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, Dominique Leblanc, says their discussions will focus on the economy, including housing, affordability and inflation. We have been working on these affordability issues for many years. We understand the anxiety of Canadians and that is the focus of our work here in Vancouver. We're not here to uh, to spend a lot of time worrying about who the Conservative Party will choose as their next leader. You just heard him mention the Conservative Party and their new leader. Voting to choose the new federal conservative leader closed yesterday with the announcement expected on Saturday of who won. Meanwhile, 
interim leader, Candace Bergen, has announced that she will not be running in the next federal election, but will stay on as MP until then. Let's look abroad, where the UN is calling for a safety zone around Ukraine's major nuclear plant. Charles Ledesma has the latest. The UN Atomic Watchdog Agency urged Russia and Ukraine on Tuesday to establish a nuclear safety and security protection zone around Zaporizhia. Amid mounting fears, the fighting could trigger a disaster. Rafael Grossi, head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, warns we're playing with fire and something very, very catastrophic could take place, days after leading an inspection visit to the plant. At a Security Council meeting, UN Secretary-General Antonio Antonio Guterres likewise demanded combatants commit to halting all military activity around the plant and agreeing on a demilitarized perimeter. I'm Charles Diladesma. And while we're in Europe and talking about energy, the European Commissioner for Energy says the EU's next steps for addressing the continent's worsening energy crisis will be unveiled next week. Many European countries have already tightened their belts as energy costs rise. The EU Commissioner for Energy, Kadri Simpson, says the plan will include new investment propositions. Right now, at, uh, at this situation where Russia is using uh, their natural gas supplies as a weapon, we have to well take care of security of supply. And uh, that means that, um, that um, some extraordinary investments are needed. Simpson says the current energy crisis in Europe has made it clear that renewable energy like solar and wind are essential for energy in the future. Let's get to our daily polls. You can find the polls on Twitter at Accessible Media, or you can find them on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. Frankly, you should follow both of those spots and vote on the poll twice. See, there you go. Do double democracy. Yesterday, we asked you, how often do you use your credit card for daily expenses and bills? Had a pretty uh, clear split here. 50% of you said always, and 50% of you said not at all. So no middle ground for y'all. It's all or nothing. At Accessible Media on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Today's daily poll, officially back to school season here. Pretty much everybody is back at it as of today, no matter where you are or what level you're studying in. So I'm asking you, what was slash is your favorite part of back to school season? Hanging with friends, new school supplies, new teachers, or school activities? I think all these things are reasonable answers. I was a theater kid in high school, so I used to love getting the theater season underway. Same thing in college and university, hanging out with theater kids because I'm a weirdo. But I also love the smell of a new notebook and the smell of a pen, a new pen touching a new notebook. The simple pleasures in life. What, that cost you $2 for a new notebook and a pen? Oh, man, that feels good. Hanging with friends? Eh, sure, my friends are all right. But typically you'd hang out with them in the summer anyway. I think it's worth putting the question about new teachers in there too because let's face it, Sometimes if you're academically or scholastically inclined, you get a chance to meet new teachers and find out new perspectives, and it might just change your life. Big shout out to Jacques Desrochers, my civics teacher in grade nine at St. George's, someone who got my life on track in a big way. Let's bring in Alex Smythe to talk about this. Alex, what was the best part of back to school season? So... Not quite any of these ones specifically. Like for me, it definitely, I, I was a, a bit of a geek and, and I really wanted to have like the first day, the best 
like outfit all picked out and planned like i remember oh i'd get all new stuff and it's like oh you show off all the new shiny shoes or shirt or whatever you had for the first day of school so that was always exciting but the other thing for me was always just being able to like just wonder and have that excitement about not necessarily a new teacher but a new class a new subject a new kind of element maybe that you didn't learn about last year that you can get excited about i always loved english and history so it's like a new history class Ooh, i get to learn about ancient history or i get to learn about confederation or or this or that it was always that kind of excitement that was really uh pumping me up for the start of the new year style and studies with alex smite that's how the new how school year got started there you go our senior producer andrika delanerol just chimed in on the, onto the group chat dave you were sniffing sharpies weren't you um maybe <laughs> maybe markers smell good too markers especially like the whiteboard markers but i don't want to go too uh too deep down this this rabbit hole let's bring in eliza rocco eliza start of the school season what's the best part of it well dave like you i was also a giant theater kid so those new school activities were one of the top things on my list but if i'm thinking back to back to school system back to school i think about elementary school and there's nothing better and going back to school shopping, mm. especially when your parents are paying for it and not yourself. <laughs> yeah. So in university, that wasn't as big of a thing yeah, for me. The, the game, the game changes <laughs> a little bit in university. Yeah, a little bit. But getting those like smelly erasers and all the different kinds of and colors of pencils, like nothing, nothing is better than that. Getting your hands on just all new stuff. It was simply the best so andrika accused me of smelling markers and you just mentioned the nice smelling erasers and the scent of maybe a pencil right after it's been sharpened am i dating myself if i talk about the markers that used to smell like different kinds of fruits did they have those when you were a kid oh yeah i was gonna bring those up too i loved those yeah i think those are non-toxic as well so i wasn't huffing those (laughs) markers alex what about you am i am i dating myself when i'm talking about the markers that smelled like various kinds of fruits Absolutely not. I mean, I totally had uh, uh, a whole set of those at home. And yeah, you know, I'm not sure if they were always non-toxic. I'm pretty sure some of them, they weren't the best to be sniffing. But I mean, they were so enticing with all the different uh, smells, right? (laughs) Yeah, let's go with the assumption that maybe they weren't super non-toxic, but they also weren't super toxic. Maybe they were somewhere in the middle ground. I'm I'm no scientist. I don't know exactly where that uh, that line falls. Smelling markers should never be something that's on someone's list of things that they should they enjoy doing on on evenings or weekends. So. Well, 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 notice I, uh, I didn't put that in the options for the daily poll. Trying to keep, <laughs> trying to keep us out of trouble here. Okay, yeah. if you want to vote on this, accessible media on Twitter, accessible media Inc on Facebook. You can also send us emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or you can give us a phone call one eight six six. 509-4545-1866-509-4545. And of course, uh, you don't always need to take the positive spin on this. If you are starting a new school year and you're encountering an accessibility challenge, whether it be at high school, university, college, etc., let us know about it. Chime in. Let us know. The show's ears and eyes are always open for your feedback. So please, please, please don't be afraid to send in your personal stories. And, you know, you don't have to have a shared on the air, but... If you do want us to share it on the air, we can definitely explore that. Let's go back to Alex Smythe. He has the national weather updates. Here is your AMI national weather report from Environment Canada. 
Starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, it's mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of rain and a high of 15. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's a beautiful, mainly sunny day with a high of 24. In Montreal, Quebec, it's mainly sunny with a high of 25. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon and a high of 25. In Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with a chance of rain in the morning and a high of 24. In Thunder Bay, it's sunny and a high of 25. Winnipeg is also sunny but has a bit of the haziness and a high of 27. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, sunny and again becoming hazy with a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 31. In Calgary, Alberta, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts in the afternoon reaching 50 kilometers per hour with a high of 25. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's increasing in cloudiness with a high of 20. Yellowknife Northwest Territories. It's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain this afternoon and a high of 11. In Vancouver, BC, it's mainly sunny with a high of 20. And finally, in Victoria, BC, sunshine with a high of 21. This was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Kelly Braun Johnson will explore the importance of creating a work-life balance for parents during the back-to-school season. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Students are back in class. Pretty much all students at all levels, they're back. It's an exciting time. It's also a stressful time. It can be difficult for working parents to balance professional commitments with shifting schedules. Kelly Braun Johnson is the founder of Completely Inclusive and is here to share some thoughts on the issue. Hey, good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Dave. So, Kelly, what are a couple examples of how back to school can create some work-life balance issues? Well, we know work hours and school hours are not always compatible. I've I've even seen some places where on Wednesdays the kids end at 2 o'clock instead of at 3 o'clock, and, and that's got to be a nightmare for, for working parents. Um, and there's also, you know, after-school daycare, all that fun stuff, trying to get organized again. And, and just to add to the fun, I don't know if you've heard, but here in Quebec, there's been a school bus strike. Um, and so transport hasn't even been arranged for some school boards. So some people don't even have uh, school buses at all. So that's a whole extra stress of, of what's going on here. Yeah, I can really see how that creates a lot of pressures all over the like daily schedule for a parent with a school-aged kid. So let's start with some solutions on the company front. What are some simple solutions that companies can implement during those first few weeks of school? Well, this, this whole topic, you know, was inspired because uh, a friend of mine on LinkedIn was saying, please don't book any early morning meetings, uh, especially during the first week of school. Uh, we're, we're already trying to rush and send our kids off. Um, you know, for me, it's always a pleasure to be able to say goodbye to my kids and, and either put them on the bus or when I drop them off myself. Um, and so I think employees kind of need a bit of leeway. We're all trying to get back into the routine. We need a bit of grace. 
there's all sorts of snafus that can that can happen, right? With with again with transport, with schedules, just getting back into the routine of everything. And what about from an employee point of view? What can someone do themselves to make sure those tensions are eased up a little bit in those first few school weeks? Well, I think sometimes just reminding uh, reminding your employer that this is something that's coming up for me. Um, I think in general, parents we run a pretty tight ship. You know, we're pretty. We're pretty organized, um, but still we, we might need some extra flexibility and, and just kind of giving your boss a heads up and say, hey, you know, this is what's happening. Uh, or even, you know, in my case, uh, both my kids have disabilities, so I can't just kind of stop the car and let them run out. <laughs> I, you know, for safety reasons, it's, it's usually hand over hand. I've, it takes me a bit longer to do a drop off. So it's, it's to help employers understand not all of us, even if they have kids and they're understanding, not all of us are dropping off our kids in the same way, right? We're, we're, some of us are going to take a bit longer. I, I don't mean to sort of wedge the pandemic into this conversation, but this is probably the first year that feels, I don't want to say normal, but maybe a little <laughs> more conventional than the last couple of years. Do you think that's adding a layer to some of the stress? Well, I think for me, I mean, speaking personally, uh, my kids have been out of school since the pandemic hit in March 2020. So once the schools closed, um, I took my kids out of school. I homeschooled that whole time. We've been in isolation, not in school this whole time. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to send them back. But it feels like I'm in the twilight zone because no one's talking about it. You know, they're going back. There's no mask. There's no protocols. I've received absolutely no information about extra precautions or anything like that. So it's like as if nothing has happened. Um, and I think at the same time, the workplace has also kind of been like, we're tired of it. We're tired of talking about COVID. So everybody is kind of expected to just kind of go back to that same level of productivity as before the pandemic. So I think it's that kind of that extra pressure. And, and like I said, just for me, it just feels a little weird, <laughs> but, but it is what it is. Yeah, weird Weird is definitely a word. We we had our first sort of big all-staff in-person meeting last week, and, and it felt really bizarre to have over 20 people in a room together uh, in the boardroom where we developed our COVID-19 plan on March 12th, 2020. So it was a little surreal to get everybody back together uh, in, in that moment. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that one for sure. Kelly, I, I want to broaden this out a little bit because companies will oftentimes preach how they value work-life balance but do you think they're generally good at putting it into practice so i think all companies all management kind of needs some reminders um, that we do have a life outside work we have demands outside work um and of course you know not everybody has children it's not just about that it's it's uh it's about the kind of different things that people want to do outside of work um and that sometimes we just need a bit more understanding. And, and this could be not just for school time, but for religious reasons, for any event, or even if you just want to go home and, and, and watch Netflix, that's okay too, right? We all have, if we are going to have this balance, I think um, employers need to understand that, that employees have other obligations outside of the workplace and sometimes need a bit of a reminder that it's okay to take that time off for yourself. 
along those lines, you mentioned that there can be any myriad of reasons that might put a bit of a strain on the work-life balance or might make it a little bit more difficult to match uh, peak productivity. Are some of the things we're talking about today, although focused on back-to-school season, applicable across the calendar? Maybe we're talking uh, across multiple calendars and demographics, maybe holidays, family events, in my case, the start of the football season, as much as a joke as that sounds like. But that's exactly it. Um, you know, I kind of, I don't really kind of believe in, in the work-life balance. I think we, we, we live and we try to fit in, we try to fit in things and it's not always going to be in balance. And I think it's important for, for people, but also for workplaces to kind of understand that um, when we're at work, we're going to try and concentrate on work, but having these other events, religious events, even if you have appointments, you know, pregnancy comes with more appointments, all, you know, different holidays. Sometimes people have to get home before sundown. Sometimes people are fasting. All those things bring a richness to life and a wonderful diversity to the world. And I would say that it makes us better employees when we're able to uh, embrace all those things and find a balance in our own way. We're still devoted employees. You know, we're not, we're not slacking. Um, we're, we're getting something out of being able to nourish ourselves by being able to care for our families or to go to a certain religious events. I mean, you can you could argue that football might be a religious event for you, Dave, and that's okay, right? That's perfectly fine because it brings you the energy to come back to work on Monday morning and, and get back to the task and, and feel good. I don't know if eating 10 pounds of nachos brings me a lot of energy on a Monday work morning, but I appreciate the sentiment on that one, Kelly. Hey, Kelly, thank you for making time for us today. We're really grateful. I know it's a busy time of year for you with work and with the kids at school. So thank you for carving out a couple minutes for us. Excellent. I love it. Thanks. That's Kelly Braun Johnson, the founder of Completely Inclusive. Coming up next, Shane Baker. We'll share some tips and techniques for practicing mindfulness and relaxation, connecting our mind and our body. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Lori Paris with your Morning Business Minute. A day before Canada's central bank is set to announce its latest rate decision, the country's main stock index recorded a triple-digit drop in a broad-based decline. The S&P TSX Composite Index sank 182 points to 19088. U.S. markets didn't fare any better in New York. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 173 points to 31,145. The S&P 500 index was down 16 points at 3,908, while the Nasdaq Composite fell 85 points to 11,544. Asian shares were mostly lower as pessimism prevailed about higher interest rates ahead, and Wall Street shares fell for the fourth straight week. Japan's Nikkei sank by 196 points to close at 27,430. South Korea's KOSPI fell by 33 points to 2,376. The Shanghai Composite Index added 3 points to 3,246. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 75.88 cents U.S., down from yesterday's close of 76.11 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Lori Paris. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. We just spent the last segment talking about some of the stress that goes along with back-to-school season. And there are lots of little things that can weigh heavy on your mind. But sometimes what weighs heavy on your mind can weigh heavy on your body. And occasionally, your body can help ease the pressure on your mind. 
Shane Baker is here to talk about a mind-body connection, and Shane joins us from Vancouver Island. Hey, good morning, Shane. Good morning, Dave. Shane, first and foremost, you have had a very busy summer with a really cool placement program, but now it's back-to-school season for you. How are you feeling? Today is the first day, so um, there's a little bit of anxiety, but... uh, you know, I'm going into my fourth year, so I'm going into my final year of my degree. And um, there's something about knowing what to expect and knowing the routine, you know, so um, kind of an old vet, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just picking up old habits where you left them off. I, <laughs> yeah, Shane, let's uh, come back to this mind-body connection, mindfulness and relaxation. Do you find that you can get caught in your own thoughts? Yeah, definitely, Dave. I think I think many of us can, um, you know, and I and I think that's one of the reasons that I wanted to um, discuss this morning with you. Um, so often um, we can kind of just think that this is our normal routine, um, but um, so often when we can kind of get up in our head, we can kind of add. I call it adding um, um, kindling to the to the fire that I'm creating. And I think in those moments, I'm, I'm throwing on as much kindling as I can, and that fire is getting hotter and hotter and more out of control. And, um, and talking and, and doing some of the activities that we'll be discussing today can actually be a great way to kind of stop that, uh, that progression and, and pull yourself back out of your head. Shane, I know when my brain starts spinning, it just, it just, as you say, it piles on. The fire just goes, and I start cycling and cycling and cycling, and I'll play something out over and over and over again, and it's exhausting. I'm curious, <laughs> when you get caught up in those thoughts, what manifests for you? I'm the very same way. I do a lot of compulsive and repetitive thinking, um, and, um, and, and it's like you said, I kind of get tighter and tighter and, and wound up more you know, and, and it's almost like I'm, um, I'm, I'm spinning myself uh, like a top and I, and I just keep going and going and going. And if I don't find that moment of clarity where I wait, where I say, um, stop for a second, um, then I can keep going. And, and, and the, the, the difficult part about anxiety and, and getting up in our head is that we also have these interactions with our loved ones around us. And if we have not communicated to them how we are doing in those moments, they're only getting those, um, you know, that maybe some irrationalities, maybe some, um, you know, maybe feeling a little um, off. And so um, I think it's really important that we get into a habit of, of checking in with ourselves. So let's talk about some of the techniques. How do you end up pulling out of it once that fire is burning? Practice. I think that is the key. I think so often when we're when we're talking about techniques, grounding techniques, meditation, um, whatever whatever those tools may be, um, if we are going to pull that tool out only when we need it, we may have a more difficult time using it. But if we take out that tool every single day and we practice how we're holding it and practice our technique, pretty soon we're going to get pretty good at that at that tool. And so I think the same ideas is is um, is really relevant here. And I think that if we take that moment to practice and and take a couple minutes, can I, I found that I can do these exercises just on myself. 
even even sometimes on the bus or in a classroom when um you know when when those starts when those those thoughts start to go so what are what are some of those exercises shane how do you, how do you end up connecting the mind back to the body i think a good one that is always really great is the breath um you know so much of meditation and yoga and um you know some of these other types of activities and exercises really work off the breath and i think that starting there is a really really great place um we can um there's many different resources online about relaxational breathing um you know observing your breath uh deep deep breath relaxational techniques. Um, but I think another one that's worked really great for me is, um, is just taking a moment. And I actually got introduced to it through my therapist. And, um, and it's really about um, touch. And so sometimes what I can do is just take my hand, put it on my chest, and just kind of focus on that breathing, focus on the touch, focus on the sensations, the, the pressure of my hand on my chest, the, the warmth of my palm, um, really stepping out of my head for a moment and really getting into that sensory experience. And, and I think once we make that transition over to, to touch, to feeling, to hearing, to seeing, um, it's really, really effective way of getting ourselves out of our head. Touch, I think, is a really good one. I'm, I'm curious if there's another sense that you have that find you find can really pull you out. I was talking about earlier in the show how smell is something that really works for me, and maybe that connects to breathing in a particular sense. But there's mm. certain smells that will bring me calm, and there's certain smells that will bring me enjoyment. It's one of the things that I remember about back to school season, just sort of a, a sense <laughs> of cleanliness, right? You walked into the building that's been cleaned beautifully all summer, and the smell of a new binder or a a new notepad or a new pen there's something about that that feels fresh and clean and can really snap me out of my own thoughts yeah definitely I think for me it has been touch and so I actually got into a habit of of carrying something with me um maybe a piece of uh, a twig or um, you know, a favorite rock or, or something like that, and just putting it in my pocket. And when I have those moments, I can just reach in, grab my rock or stick and just hold it in my hand and like really be present with that stick and feel this, the, the surface, feel the weight of it. You know, how does it feel against my, my thumb? How does it feel against my, my pointer finger? Those types of things I think I, I have worked really, really well for me. And I would encourage people out there to, uh, to give it a try. What about vocalizing stuff? Certainly if we have a partner in our life or a therapist in our life or a good friend, we can vocalize to them. But I find that even sometimes when I'm in my own head, I'll just say what I'm thinking out loud, maybe once or twice. And I find that it helps even when I'm talking to myself, although I don't do that in public. That's definitely a private exercise. <laughs> maybe we're not so different. I, I think that any type of release um, is great. And, and vocal expression is obviously one of those. And if you're by yourself and, and you feel comfortable to, 
to, to express how you're feeling, I think that's a great option. Um, I'm really lucky. I have a really open relationship with my partner and, and she is so supportive. And, and sometimes I think she knows that I just need to get it out of me and she will stop and, and patiently listen to me and, and, and be really loving and supportive. And, and oftentimes once I get that, once I get those words out of me, things start to make sense a little more. And, and I think it gives us an opportunity to kind of reflect and say, what was happening there? I think sometimes we can misinterpret things and how how we're feeling maybe we are actually just feeling a little ang- anxious um, instead of um, sad maybe we're you know maybe there's something that's coming up tomorrow I think if we pay attention to those clues that we're that our body and, and mind are telling us we have a re- the real ability to to respond to to what we need mm. Shane let's finish where we started I want to ask you our daily poll question which is all about back to school season and folks can find that at Accessible Media on Twitter or Accessible Media Inc on Facebook so Shane the question I'm asking folks is what was slash is your favorite part of back to school season is it hanging with friends new school supplies new teachers school activities and of course Shane you can feel free to go off the board if you want to I think one of the my most favorite things about returning back to school is kind of walking into the first people's house for the first time at UVic. Um, you know, there's there's something special about that space that we have. Um, you know, being able to walk through the doors and really feel like you're represented. Um, at the place that you're attending. And so, um, you know, one of my first places that I usually go is just to kind of go and pop my head by the elders room and go in and say hi to some of our elders and old ones who are who are um, being present with us at uh, university. Well, Shane, on your first day back, we wish you all the best, sir. We always enjoy catching up with you. Hope everything goes well and smoothly. The semester gets off to a great start and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much, Dave. That is Shane Baker, one of our columnists out there on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. Coming up next, Derek Lackey will discuss an upcoming CNIB orientation session about guide dog rights. It is indeed Guide Dog Access Awareness Month, so looking forward to catching up with Derek and hearing his thoughts as a brand new guide dog user. But first, Twitter has finally added an edit button. Alex Stone will tell you more in Tech Trends. Twitter will now let users edit tweets for up to half an hour after they're posted. But technology journalist Chris Stokel Walker says a long-awaited feature is not available for everyone just yet. Not for all of us plebs that use the site. So you have to be able to fork out $5 per month in order to access Twitter the Blue, which is the platform's paid subscription service. He says that's because the company wants to test the feature on a smaller batch of users before rolling it out more broadly. Even still, some have argued an edit button could open the door to disinformation. If Twitter doesn't do this carefully, if it doesn't ring-fence the ability to edit your posts in a very specific way, then you open up the opportunity for people to misuse this hugely. With Tech Trends of Alex Stone, EBC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Let's catch up with community reporter Derek Lackey in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Hey, good morning, Derek. 
How's it going, Dave? Not too shabby. Always nice to catch up with you. Derek, we're going to be doing a lot of guide dog talk in this segment. And one of the last times you and I caught up, you had just come home with your guide dog, Terry, or the Terror Bear, as it were. How have things been going? Great, great. Uh, you know, we, we recently ran into a, a little little bit of a setback, but I got some trainers coming out from the CNIB Guide Dog School uh, heading out my way uh, tomorrow. So going to work on uh, our little issue here and see if we can kind of get it all resolved up. But other than that, things have, uh, things have been great. If you don't mind my prying, what, what's the issue that you ran into? Uh, he just ran into a little bit of a, a confidence issue. We think we ran into uh, a bit of a situation when we were out walking some one time. So trying to trying to get him up and, and going away from from uh, my house and going to a couple of places right now is is a little bit hard. So he uh, he needs a little bit of a confidence booster, and they just want to come check it out and see if they can help him get through that a little bit faster for me. Mm. Derek, we're going to be talking to you in just a moment about what the CNIB is doing in regards to some orientation in regards to guide dog rights i'm curious how is that going for you as a newer guide dog user in terms of getting access uh to places where uh, where terry has the legal right to be you know what so far uh i really can't complain all, at all about about winnipeg here you know i'm i'm a member of uh, a couple of the uh, cnib zoom group meetings that go on uh where guide dog handlers kind of just get a chance to meet up and talk and i hear a lot of uh a lot of stories about access denial or or ride denials and stuff whether it's uber or some other ride share and and you know what i i can say so far truthfully winnipeg has been very welcoming i haven't had any issues wherever i've uh, tried to go with him uh, nobody's tried to deny me or or stop me i mean it, it's funny though because the CNIB guide dog harness looks a little bit different. Everybody seems to think he's he's just a dog in training. He's not actually certified or anything. But um, but you know, other than that, it, it's uh, you know people have been pretty well respectful for the most part. There's a couple times I've had to you know make sure people don't uh, don't pet him because they they see him and and they'll want a pet. But um, other than that, you know things have been great here. Yeah, I, this doesn't surprise me, Derek. Every time I end up in your neck of the woods, I find that people are very welcoming and very understanding. So really great to hear that you've been having a very positive experience on that front. But as you mentioned, not everybody is necessarily always having those kinds of positive experiences. And it's important to learn about advocacy and learn about the rights that you have. So the CNIB Foundation is going to be hosting an orientation session about the rights of guide dogs and their handlers. So what are go- what is the expectation for attendees to get out of this session? So the attendees that attend this session, there's going to be two different sessions. So there's one that's happening on September 21st from 2 till 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I will actually be facilitating uh, in that uh, that meeting. I'll be a co-facilitator. And that one is for individuals who either work for or volunteer for the CNIB that want to gain a little bit of knowledge about uh, there is a guide dog handler's uh, uh, human rights or or guide dog rights toolkit that the CNIB actually has uh, attached with their web page that you can access. So it's really going to be about uh, finding out where that information is actually located on the CNIB web page, maybe to dive in a little bit more about what actually are our rights as guide dog handlers and, and, and our guide dogs, you know, where we're allowed to go, where we're not allowed to go, maybe some of the exceptions uh, and and what to do, whether those rights have been violated or uh, you've had a, a ride denial and just some of the uh, 
some of the outlines about, you know, writing an advocacy letter for yourself, writing a complaint letter, or, uh, you know, adding, uh, adding a CNIB uh, letterheaded uh, advocacy letter with your complaint letter to to somewhere if you have had uh, a violation of your human rights and just what you can and can't do. So, it's uh, it's going to be a great session. You'll find out, you know, that there's certain provinces have uh, extra um, guide dog laws over and above the human rights code laws that are around guide dogs. So you'll find out which provinces have those. Plus, uh, there's a very nice and handy little QR code that is available on the CNIB webpage that you can pull up wherever you are and allow a company or a place that is trying to deny you access to scan that code and see for themselves here documented what are exactly our human rights as guide dog handlers and our guide dogs and what can possibly happen if they try to continue to deny it. So that will be happening on September 21st from 2 to 3 uh, Eastern Standard Time. And like I said, that's for uh, CNIB employees as well as volunteers of the CNIB. And the next day on September 22nd from 2 until 3 p.m., that is for anyone else who would like to attend, whether you have a guide dog yourself or a friend has a guide dog and maybe you want to be prepared to help them out in a situation or uh, friends and family that, you know, might be, uh, you know, involved with you. Like if my wife wanted to attend, she could definitely attend that mm. one to find out, hey, where is this information so I can help pull it up when uh, you know a friend or a family member or a loved one is being denied access somewhere mm -hmm. so on september 22nd that one is also happening from 2 until 3 p.m eastern standard time and if those are something that really interests you because you know you want to be prepared to either help out a friend or help out a loved one in a situation where their rights are being impeded uh, you know, you can register with Larissa Proctor at CNIB.ca. So that's capital L-A-R-I-S-S-A -S -S period capital P-R-O-C-T-O-R dot C-N-I-B dot C-A and tell them which one of those two orientation uh, Zoom meetings you would like to attend to gain some more uh, rights knowledge around guide dogs. The QR code is such a good idea, Derek, because it just puts it out there in plain English, right? It's not someone trying to remember in the moment that can be very stressful. Oh, if you look at uh, X law, Y point two point seven, <clears throat> that's that in that moment, it's going to be impossible to pull that information out of your brain. Instead saying, here, here's the QR code. Here it is in plain English. Yeah. Here's what you're doing. He, he, it just makes so much sense. Yeah, it was great. You know, when we were out uh, doing my training out in Canada there, and um, we went out to the uh, Oakville, like the actual compound, they actually handed us over um, business cards that I believe had the attorney general's uh, number on the one side, uh, which doesn't really necessarily help me here in, in Winnipeg, but it's just kind of having a real official card like that, that had the attorney general's card on, a number on one side. And then the QR code, I believe, was actually on the other side of that same card. So I could pull that card out and I had the QR code with me so they'd be able to scan it right there. And as long as I have it in my wallet, I'm, I'm always prepared. So they, they definitely prepare you for situations that are going to happen, no matter how much advertising, no matter how much we put out there that it's the law, they're allowed everywhere denial and and violations are still going to happen but at least they try and help you be prepared and they have an amazing team 
uh, at CNIB guide dogs that mm-hmm. are that are there ready and willing to lend their expertise, lend their hand. And uh, Larissa is the the manager there at uh, guide dog at CNIB guide dog uh, advocacy department. And you know she's there and she'll have her card and in a heartbeat. If you if you feel like your rights are being violated, you can make that call and she'll jump on board right away and do everything possible to help you out. So it's it's fantastic uh, setup they have there with CNIB. Uh, guide dogs and I know all the other schools are are very much the same on board with that so I I, I don't feel like I, I'm I'm going to be alone that's it's a great <laughs> thing you're you're not alone in that situation when it happens right yeah we, we had Larissa on the show last week talking about guide dog advocacy awareness month and uh, they were absolutely fantastic it was awesome talking to Larissa and as you mentioned folks do want to reach out to be part of these sessions later this month Larissa.proctor at cnib.ca, and that address will go up on our show, at, on a blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. Derek, one more event coming down the pipeline in the Winnipeg neck of the woods. The United Way Winnipeg is going to be holding its Walk This Way campaign. So what's on deck for this year's event? You know what? It's nice. It's like, I've, it's funny because I've, I've been a member of uh, United Way Winnipeg for years now doing my, um, you know, my... Uh, discussions with them and going around and talking to businesses and letting them know what you know what their donations have really done for for myself through through CNIB foundation uh you know what happens when they make those donations to United Way Winnipeg and it's it's been at least three years since we've done an in-person uh gathering like this and and it's finally time and things have finally become uh deemed safe enough to do so so now we are finally getting together for this is technically called crossing the finish line and a campaign kickoff all in one uh, and this is going to be happening on September 16th from 12 p.m until 1:30 uh, and it's going to be crossing the finish line of walk this way 2022 and the campaign kickoff for the 2022-2023 year so this is where we are going to find out what our kind of main topic or goal is for 2022-2023 year, what kind of subject we're going to be really kind of trying to talk upon and really kind to back. Uh, You know, there's going to be some great local artists here that are going to be playing uh, live music, and it's all going to be free for attendings. Uh, There's going to be food trucks available, uh, lots of photos You've got six days to try and put in as many kilometers as you can. We have some some great donators that are willing to uh, back us up. And if we can make a 100,000 kilometer goal, they're going to donate $100,000 to CNIB or sorry, not CNIB, but uh, United Way Winnipeg. Uh, which in in the end, it does end up going to CNIB as well. So I guess it's not completely untruthful. So you know, it's a uh, it's a great uh, it's a great way to kind of get together. Um, you know, join and gather at the True North Square Plaza, which is just over on Hargrave Street, behind our beautiful hockey arena. And uh, you know, everybody get together and uh, you know gather in person and let's let's get together and and do some walking for a great cause and have a great celebration. So, Derek, the goal is one hundred thousand kilometers. And I know this is a difficult question. I don't know if you actually measure your steps or not, but I just jumped into my Google timeline because they measure my steps through Google Maps. Apparently in August, I walked 36 miles. So that's a little bit over 55, 56 kilometers. I'm curious how many kilometers you think you walk in a month. 
Oh boy. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't know if I'd even be able to gather Dave. Okay. I, I mean, I, it's, it's this, the last, the last couple of months have been a little rough for my family. My, my son uh, received his first COVID vaccine and he also ended up with hand, foot and mouth. Oh dear. And he also, yeah. And he also ended up with another cold and he also ended up with a couple other uh, problems that we had to take him to his uh, pediatrician for that we, we had some some pretty decent scares with some blood sugars and stuff. Oh gosh! Just random, randomly out of nowhere, we were really concerned about, and and turns out everything's okay so far. So, it's it's been a rough month. So August, I would say, is not very much, Dave. But no. uh, prior <laughs> prior prior to then, you know, in uh, in in June or or July, yeah, June or July, uh, I. I probably put on quite a few but i wouldn't even be able to guess to me <laughs> okay well we'll get back we'll get back to you on that one and derek i'm sorry to hear it was a stressful couple months there but glad to hear everybody's on the mend and on the up and up so on that note we wish you a wonderful day and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks sounds great dave thank you very much take care that's derek lackey community reporter in winnipeg manitoba if you want to learn more about some of those stories and events in the winnipeg area you can visit ami.ca slash now ami.ca slash now that's our new blog address let's get to a couple of news stories as we wrap up the hour e-cigarette maker jewel has agreed to pay almost 440 million dollars u.s to settle an investigation by more than 30 states into its sales and marketing practices for young people aaron katursky takes a closer look Juul dominated the vaping market by appealing to young people. An investigation by three dozen states said launch parties, trendy-looking models, and social media posts relentlessly marketed to underage users, while Juul manipulated the chemical composition of its products to make them less harsh. Connecticut Attorney General William Tong said Juul agreed to pay $438 million to resolve the investigation. They're not going to target young people and, and children and that's a huge step forward. Juul also agreed to stop making claims that its vape products can help users quit smoking cigarettes. Aaron Katursky, ABC News, New York. And one more story coming to you from the United States. U.S. airlines are not seeing the same increase in business travel despite leisure travel bouncing back. Daria Albinger has more. With summer vacation season winding down, airlines are turning their attention to business travelers. And they're a little worried because while leisure travel has, for the most part, returned to pre-pandemic levels, business travel is still about 25% below what it was in 2019 since COVID. More meetings are being conducted remotely, and that's made an impact on airlines. Business travelers also usually pay higher fares, so their absence has an even bigger effect on carriers' revenue and on their profit. Daria Albinger, ABC News. It really isn't shocking that business travel has not bounced back to the extent that you think it would. A few of my really good friends work in sales, and one in particular was telling me a story about a client in Detroit who said, hey, you know what, we're not going to renew our contract with you guys, we're, we're moving on, and he ended up arranging just a Zoom call to say a professional goodbye. And one of the sort of old-timer executives in the company said, man, you got to you got to get on a plane. you got to get down there. you got to meet them in person because if you shake their hand in person, that means you let them know you're still thinking about them. We're going to have that connection, and when they decide to reconsider in a couple of years, they're going to know you made the effort to come down. And he says, you know, why would we spend that money? When we can have the Zoom call, we can do the same professional goodbye. It's not just the shaking of the hand or having of the dinner that makes that connection. It's the thoughts that you're going to share. And the fact is, if somebody's already made up their mind, they've already made up their mind. So as companies are thinking about 
the bottom line as they're thinking about what they can and cannot spend money on, especially as we're, quote, tightening the belts, even though there's still a lot of record profits flying around at a lot of companies, but we're tightening the belts. Apparently a lot of inflation out there, but turns out it's manifesting in the bottom lines with huge profits and monster dividends to investors. Tightening our belts. Got to tighten our belts. Got to ask the workers to make sacrifices. I understand why business travel is going down because we can't just be having these lavish business class trips all around the world for a couple of days or a couple quick meetings. What's the return on investment by doing that? That isn't to say that FSFS in-person business doesn't have its place. But you got to pick your spots. you got to do it in the right times. You can't just have these willy-nilly trips. But uh, maybe a convention in Las Vegas. Get me down to one of those. Do a little live broadcast from the floor of the Flamingo. We'll see how much sleep I get. What do you think? You think business travel's done? You think it's finito? You think it's a done deal? We're always encouraging you to offer feedback to the show. So do that. Send us an email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. You can find us on social media, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook or at Accessible Media on Twitter, or you can go old school. Forget this newfangled social media. Forget about these email addresses, these Gmails and these Hotmails and these Yahoos. Pick up the phone. 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, I have the regional news update. And then Brock Richardson stops by for a sports chat. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, September the 7th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, you'll get to meet our newest columnist, John Lopke from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Looking forward to introducing John to y'all. He's a great columnist, a great writer, a fantastic journalist. Looking forward to catching up with John in a couple minutes. And Ryan Delahanty will chat about the newest episode of AMI-TV's Our Community. Before we get to any of that, and Brock Richardson with the sports chat, I have the regional news update. BC has announced it will start a new vaccine push later this month with new shots to target the Omicron variant. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry says the COVID-19 infection cycles appear to be leveling off. And I do believe we are going to be out of the emergency response pandemic phase of living with this new COVID, or SARS-CoV-2 virus, but we're not there yet. So what we're doing for this fall is based on what we've learned, um, that we're still in a very uncertain period of time. Dr. Henry also discussed some of the public health habits that should stay in place. Paying attention to cleaning, paying attention to our health awareness. How am I feeling today? Um, Do I need to stay away from others until I feel better? And staying home if we're ill, hand hygiene. Those are the things that we can't ever lose. And I hope we're baked in. But we can trust people now, I think, in our community to do those measures. We don't need a heavy hand of putting in legal restrictions. The fall booster campaign will first include vulnerable people, people over 60, and healthcare workers. 
Over to the prairies, where Alberta Premier Jason Kenney is sounding the alarm on a plan by his potential successor to have Alberta ignore federal laws and court rulings. Kenney says the plan promised by party leadership candidate Danielle Smith is a threat to democracy and will bring chaos to the business sector. You cannot have a functioning economy. You cannot attract investment with a government uh, that is committed to ignoring the authority of the courts. Period. Full stop. Kenny went further in addressing how recent economic progress would cease. All of which would be jeopardized if Alberta decides to become a banana republic that refuses to respect the authority of the courts, of the Constitution, and suddenly decides to move in the direction of separation from the Canadian Federation. Leadership hopeful Danielle Smith says such an act is needed to send a wake-up call to what she calls a lawless federal government passing laws, she says, that violate Alberta's rights under the Constitution. Let's move over to Ontario, where a hospital east of Toronto says it is resuming services at its intensive care unit today after a week-long closure. Lake Ridge Health temporarily closed the Bowmanville Hospital ICU in late July to consolidate services at the Ajax Pickering and Oshawa Hospitals due to significant staffing shortages. Today marks the return of inpatient critical care services after some critical care nursing services were restored in mid-August. Ontario's ICUs and ERs have been contending with temporary closures throughout the summer. Over to Quebec, where the leaders of Quebec's provincial parties are in Montreal, Quebec City, and the Gaspé Peninsula on day 11 of the election campaign. Conservative leader Eric Duham starts his day in Quebec City. Quebec Solidaire spokesman Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois is in Montreal to announce a campaign promise for commuters. Also in the Montreal area are Coalition Avenir Quebec leader François Legault, who is meeting with a professional's farmer union, and Liberal leader Dominique Anglade, who is visiting a farm in the same region. Parti Québécois leader Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon is in the Gaspé Peninsula this morning for a news conference about skilled workers. And then we finish in the Atlantic, where the emergency department at the Sussex Health Centre in New Brunswick will be closed overnight starting next week because of a shortage of doctors. Horizon Health Network President Margaret Mellinson says she hopes the overnight closures will be for less than a year. She says the hospital's emergency department will now be open from 7.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. seven days a week. The health authority is asking people to use other options, such as telecare 811, pharmacies, or virtual care for non-urgent care or call. 911 for emergencies. Let's bring in Brock Richardson. He is here for a sports chat. Brock, we've got a lot to get to today. You sent me an agenda last night and I was like, oh my gosh, can we squeeze all this in? But let's start in the world of wheelchair basketball, where the men's under 23 world championships are underway. So Brock, what's happening here? Yes, so they are underway in Thailand, and they got going this morning at 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And Canada took on Brazil, and they lost 59-39. Canada had 12 turnovers, of which Brazil made 8 points off of those turnovers. Uh, Their next game is against Spain, and that will be of a tough test as well. It is at 12.30 in the morning on Friday. Uh, so if you want to watch some of this, you can go to the uh, international IWBF, which is the International Wheelchair Basketball Federation YouTube page, 
or you can go to the Basketball Canada website uh, to find out results and things like that. And it's going on for the next week or so. Brock, how cool is it that through new technology, things like the U23 Wheelchair Basketball Championships are available on demand for free for anybody? It's awesome. And this has started within the last, let's say, 10 years. It's it's picked up way more over the last, you know, three or four, uh, where you can really catch it. The the questionable thing sometimes, and I put that in quotes, the questionable thing sometimes is what is the quality of the video and audio going to be? Do they have quote unquote professional people doing the job, or are they just a, a guy or or girl running a camera and watching the game. And I'm happy to report that most of the time nowadays they have somebody that is aware of the sport, at least on some level, and some of the athletes to go along with it, which makes it way, way more enjoyable, Dave. Mm -hmm. Brock, yesterday I threw up a big stop sign when you wanted to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. We just ran out of time, but I promised you we'd get to them a little bit today. So it was all happy and joy as we were going to talk about them yesterday, and then they lost the game last night. I wouldn't call it a terrible loss or a bad loss or a loss that really throws them behind the eight ball because of all the wins they picked up in the last week. But what's your overall sense of where the Blue Jays are at right now? Uh, my overall sense is we're okay. That Angel series still looms large, losing all three of those. Uh, but I think we're okay. I think we are having to battle some external factors uh, AKA Jeff Nelson uh, last night and uh, over the series, making some suspect calls on both sides of the baseball. He's really an advocate for um, robot umpires. If you wanted to know the truth and I'm not saying he is <laughs> for sure, but his actions are telling you that he's, he's an advocate of the, of the robot umpires. I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. Fair uh, enough. Don't want to get fined. I hear you. Uh, the one thing that I just wanted to get your thoughts on was we've got some interesting records in the American League East, and I'm going to run them down for you. And this is since the All-Star break. The Orioles are 26 and 15. The Tampa Bay Rays are 25 and 15. The Toronto Blue Jays are 22, 22 and 17. And the Boston Red Sox are 18 and 24. Of any of this, does it mean anything to you? Are you surprised by any of these records? What say you? Uh, I would say that I'm not stunned by Tampa. I'm not overly stunned by Toronto. I thought maybe they were getting a little too much praise before the season. The Baltimore one is quite striking because it looked like they were still in another rebuilding year. But Brock, what I'm a little struck by is that there's one team you didn't mention in that list of four. Yes. The New York Yankees, who are going through a catastrophic collapse right now. Oh, yes. I forgot to add their record. That's that's very true. They are going through a, 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 a catastrophic downfall. And I think theirs is something like, if my memory serves me correct, it's like 18 or 17 and 20, 25. Like, it's the complete reverse of everybody in the division there. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of surprising. I don't personally think the... Uh, the division is up for grabs. I think the Yankees are going to get it, but 
they're making it interesting, that's for sure. They were off to a historic start this year, and something went haywire somewhere in July, and it just seems like it's not working for them, although they're still a very exciting team to watch because Aaron Judge, their star outfielder, is absolutely chasing the Roger Maris 61 home runs in a season record. So that is something that continues to get Yankees fans very excited, even as the team is uh, somewhat falling apart. It's funny, Brock, they traded Joey Gallo. They're somewhat maligned power hitter around the trade deadline because people are saying, ah, he's a total drain on the lineup. He's not hitting. He can't hit for contact. He's terrible. They trade him to the Dodgers, who's been tearing the cover off the ball since he went to the Dodgers, and now the Yankees are stinking. That isn't to say that Joey Gallo was necessarily performing for the Yankees, but sometimes you have to be careful by saying, ah, this guy's not doing us any good on our bench. <laughs> well, maybe he was doing you some good on your bench. Yeah, absolutely. That's just an alternative um, It's And like his... His on-base percentage is ridiculous for L.A. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know what it is about the, the water that's in L.A. or whatever, but they were the first team to get to 90 wins. And whatever they're doing uh, with uh, Mr. Roberts over there in their management, you know, deal, they just need to keep doing it because the Dodgers are formidable and they just know how to win. And I truly believe it does have something to do with the jersey and just all the stuff that's surrounded with it in the background. Yeah, absolutely. Brock, let's pivot off baseball because you wanted to give one more fun factoid in regards to the Canadian women's team winning the Hockey World Championships over the weekend. Yes. So um, Dr. Haley Wickenheiser held the most points in world championship history at 56. We now have a new leader of Hillary Knight from the United States. She now holds that record of 59. So this is great for the game of women's hockey. There are records being broken and tied and shattered and all those things, which tells me, Dave, that we need to pay attention as we are beginning to do more and more to women's hockey because there is tons and tons of talent talent associated with that sport. So, And along those lines, you wanted to share some news out of the Ontario Hockey League about women working their way into new positions. Yes. So women working their way into new positions, we're going to be talking about um, Laura Fernito, who becomes the first female coach in the, Ontario Hockey League. This is a great story. She's won gold medals, world championships, all of these things. But my question overall is, when does this stop becoming a historical move where it's like, this is so historic. She's the first female to do this and that. And it's like, if she deserves her job, then, you know, she deserves a job. I Mm. just, we need to move away from the, this is, at some point, I'm not saying now, but at some point we need to move away from this. It's historic because if someone deserves a job, they deserve it. It's, it is one of these moments where we say, oh, it's the first person to do something. And we reflect upon sort of a hundred years of injustice and exclusion and say, ah, it's a first step. I will say that it always is going to be historic. Anytime you get a first that that's where I think it's going to become more and more normalized when it's no longer the first person hired, right? Thank you, but you mentioned Dr. Haley Wickenheiser before. When the Maple Leafs hired her a couple of years ago, that was a big, big deal. When the Montreal Canadiens hired Marie-Philippe Poulain earlier this year, 
less of a big deal. So oftentimes the first will always be a big story. When Becky Hammond eventually does take over the reins of an NBA team and becomes the first female head coach of an NBA team, and believe me, she will. She's that good as a coach. We're going to sort of get the same hullabaloo, right? Becky Hammond, first time, historical, big news. And then as it happens more and more and more, it's just normalized. It's even if you go into the world of politics, right? When Kamala Harris became the first uh, woman of color to be a vice president, that mattered, right? Because it's the first, you're tearing something down. But I fundamentally agree with you, Brock, that at a certain point, just because we're rectifying historical injustice, it doesn't necessarily always need to be treated as a celebration, but maybe a reflection of what other barriers are existing and why did it take this long? It almost just feels like to me, and I, and I understand I'm being a little, you know, uh, superficial by saying this, but it almost feels like we're we're giving ourselves a pat on the back for saying, look what we've done. We've done this. We, you know, and, and, and I just think that we should get away from that. I do agree that the first time these things should be recognized, but at some point we have to stop, you know, separating our shoulder and patting ourselves on the back because to me, that's what it feels like. It just feels like we're patting the world, the world on it, on the back saying, yeah. look what we're doing. And I, and I just believe that male, female, everyone in between, if they deserve the job, they deserve the job. Mm -hmm. Nobody, you know, like you and I don't get patted on the back every day for, doing what we do. We'd love it, I'm sure, but we don't. We just, we're expected to get up, do our jobs and, and go home. And that's what we do. It's actually, and it's actually in my contract that our TV technical producer, Chris <laughs> McClarion, has to pat me on the back once a day. Fair enough. Does he, does he oblige to this, this, uh, no, contract? no, he doesn't, no. he doesn't, but we, no. but we, but we love you anyway, Bruce, uh, Brock, we got to get out of here, man. We'll talk about the U S open a little bit tomorrow. Yes, we will. <laughs> That's Brock Richardson with the sports chat. I don't know uh, when I want to share this, but why don't I do it right now? Uh, as I was talking to Brock, the Bank of Canada did indeed give their press conference in regard to the key interest rate. And as was anticipated, the Bank of Canada raising the key interest rate by three quarters of a percentage point. So now the base rate in Canada is 3.25%. 3.25%. That was the announcement made by the Bank of Canada just a couple of moments ago. And uh, I don't think we'll get too much analysis between now and the end of the show. But tomorrow in the first segment, I should be able to play some analysis from economists and we'll get some announce and we'll get some of the sound of the announcement by Tiff Macklem. Let's head over to Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather update. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. In Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's cloudy, turning into a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 19. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny with a high of 23. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's sunny with a high of 23 as well. In Quebec City, Quebec, sunny with a high of 24. Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with a chance of rain in the morning and a high of 24. Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly sunny with a high of 25. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunny and hazy with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers an hour this morning with a high of 29. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's sunny, becoming hazy with a mix of sun and cloud later with a high of 33. Lethbridge, Alberta, it's sunny, turning to a mix of sun and cloud 
with strong wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour and a high of 30. Red Deer, Alberta. It's sunny in the morning and then turning to possible thunderstorms this afternoon with winds gusting up to 50 kilometers an hour and a high of 24. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, clouds are clearing in the morning with a high of 17. And to Kelowna, BC, a mix of sun and clouds in the morning becoming sunny this afternoon with widespread smoke in the area this morning and early afternoon and a high of 27. And finally, Vancouver, BC, it's beautiful, sunny, and a high of 20. Now, that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, we've had to say a lot of goodbyes over the course of the last few weeks. Well, now we get to begin saying some hellos. We introduce you to our newest columnist, John Lopke, from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Over the last few weeks, we've had to say goodbye to some contributors. But as one window closes, we get to fling open some other ones. There's lots of fresh perspective to share with you from all across the country, including from John Lopke. John is joining us from Saskatoon as a new columnist on the show. Hey, good morning, John. Great to chat with you on the show for the first time. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, John, if I were to call you a journalist, how do you feel about that? Is that accurate? Absolutely. I would I would label myself a journalist. Um, I think the only people that wouldn't label me a journalist are, are folks who uh, who perhaps prescribe to uh, to an old way of doing things. And that is not us. We are not the old <laughs> school. We're the new school over here on Now with Dave Brown. So, John, what got you interested and started in pursuing journalism? Sure. So in my first class of university, I sat down next to the kindest but most argumentative person my age I had ever met in my life, which was saying something because I grew up in Parisport. Um, his name is Michael Malevsky, and uh, he happened to be the editor-in-chief of the student paper. Um, and him and I got along in that class, and then I ended up contributing, and, and uh, it all sort of went from there, went from contributing at the student paper to being a sports writer, to being a sports editor, to then uh, eventually editor-in-chief. And then once I graduated, I started in this freelance game. I know a couple times over the years while you've been working in that freelance game, I've shared some thoughts that you've shared in articles. Uh, particularly, you did a piece about the disability tax for CBC a couple of years ago that I read some highlights of on the air. But are there any topics or pieces that you've done that you're particularly taking pride in? Uh, yeah, great question. I, I think I take, I, you mentioned the CBC series, which is called Taking a Sitting Stand, um, which I'm proud to do with the CBC Creator Network uh, with some local um, Saskatchewan folks. I am also really proud of the work that I've done um, in para-sport coverage. Um, I know I'm biased as a former para-sport athlete, but I we can't see enough of that coverage. So, um for Defector and, and 538 and some of these bigger uh, places. And then I'm also really proud of the continuing work that I do with Very Well Mind, which is a um, uh, mental health site is how I would uh, describe it. 
Yeah, it seems like we've gotten uh, quite a few of you Parasport folks uh, jumping on as new contributors on the show. Former Paralympian Brock Richardson doing our sports reports now. Have you joining the show? So we're super excited about that one. John, what are some of the other issues that you found yourself covering over the years? Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I'm i a generalist at heart. So um, I always say that the reason I became a journalist was because I like to be paid to listen for a living. And, and yet here I am talking. Um <laughs> But uh, I'm, I mentioned the Parasport coverage. I'm really proud of some of the work that I've done around, um, I did a piece recently about grieving function loss as a disabled person, even when you don't have a, a, a condition that is considered um, progressive. Um, I, I'm really proud of the work that I did for Briar Patch, which is a local uh, magazine here, Briar Patch and the South Dispatch, um, their sibling publications um, about CERB benefits and, and their effects on people on assured income programs here in Saskatchewan. Um, and, and I'm really proud of any time that I get to work on, on mental health stuff. I, I know that uh, we're starting to talk more about it now, but um, even talking about it with the nuance of the disability community for me, um, I'm, I'm really proud of that work. I'm so glad you put the word nuance on that because it's obviously easy for folks to say, ah, mental health, mental health. Well, what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? What, what, do you, what do you want to talk about? So that's one of the things that I'm really glad for to hear you to say that, that nuance matters in the way we talk and write about and cover and broadcast these things because it's a broad spectrum and because it can mean so many things and manifest in different ways. So certainly that's a topic that I'm sure we'll get a chance to explore with you a little bit over the course of the next year and hopefully even beyond that. John, uh, before I was a studio rat before I spent every day broadcasting <laughs> out of a studio I did quite a bit of in the field journalism and uh, a little bit of uh, well all kinds of documentary and filmmaking as well so I've been really lucky over my years as a broadcaster and a broadcast journalist to cover some fairly notable events, things like the NHL All-Star Game, the Junos, Blue Jays training camp. I've had a chance to interview uh, future prime ministers. I've had a chance to interview former prime ministers, governor generals, even a couple of premiers and mayors along the way. I'm curious, from your perspective, is there anything that's on your bucket list that you really want to cover? Uh, my bucket list is is a generalized answer, which is eventually um, I'd love to write. Uh, I'd love to um, put the editor hat on and be uh, running a disability-led Canadian outlet. I think there are so many voices that we hear in the periphery, um, and there are you know I can count the number of out disabled journalists on the Canadian landscape, um, at least in in legacy media, on two hands. Um, and so my goal with that would to be um, would be really uh, general. I think if I had to pick an event that I would really really love to cover, it's going to be a um, a pretty typical answer for somebody who lives in Saskatchewan that they that they would want to to cover the Grey Cup. But I think looking at the Grey Cup from an accessibility um, standpoint and, and a, a a parasport standpoint would be really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Grey Cup and accessibility. We're actually going to be talking to a new uh, community reporter who'll be joining us from Regina tomorrow who's going to be talking about some of the good and some of the bad of accessibility around Mosaic Stadium. So that'll be an interesting conversation that we're going to uh, pick up on a little bit tomorrow. So that'll be a neat one. And thinking about accessibility in, in the prairies in the province of Saskatchewan, what do you think are some of the most pressing issues for people with disabilities in Saskatchewan? I think one of the most pressing issues is that we don't talk about disability enough in the wider political sphere. I mean, if you look at the um, 
uh, the campaigns for the most recent provincial election a couple of years ago, disability was not mentioned once. If you look at the current budget for the SAS party, um, the uh, the data that they reference, they're referencing an increase in funding, and that reference is from 2008. So I think for me, it's a really structural um, it's a structural issue of disability only being talked about from a real charitable perspective. So we have a, a funding program called Telemiracle, and and, and um, personally speaking, I, I think Telemiracle is is a means to an end um, and, and a stopgap, and has done wonderful things for a lot of people. Um, however, a, a lot of the time, this province falls back on a charity model of disability, and I think um, a lot of the tension. And a lot of the issues um, come from that. And, and we need to be talking more about how we perceive disability, how we fund disability programs, and how we incorporate disability, and particularly disability culture, which doesn't get a lot of play here a lot of the time, um, into the way that we exist as uh, as a as what is sometimes called uh, in other parts of the country one of the flyover provinces. Mm. Uh, John, it's interesting you mentioned the sort of charitable model that people may perceive disabilities. I had to put a moratorium on this a couple of weeks ago because I was saying it too much across too many segments, but I'll say it again. Kindness is not a substitute for sound policy. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. No dispute. This is why I had to put a moratorium on it because it's, un it's an <laughs> undebatable comment. Uh, There's... There's no way that you can tell me that, you know, a, a handshake and a nice pat on the head is a, a substitute for stable housing, stable employment, um, and understanding of what disability actually looks like on the priories, as opposed to what gets put on billboards or in handouts. See, that's an even better way of elaborating on my undebatable comment. I like that. That's why we're going to get along really well with you in this role. Uh, John, you're going to be joining us once a month, but where should people follow your work in the meantime? Sure. So the easiest way, um, this is the moment where I regret making a Twitter handle that wasn't immediately easy to say on the air. So uh, the easiest way to follow my work is to go to my website, which is uh, the first notion of my name. So J and then Lepke, L-O-E-P-P-K-Y dot com. And there you'll be able to see my social media links and my portfolio. John, we appreciate this. I appreciate you having me. That's John Lepke. He's the new columnist on Now with Dave Brown. You'll be hearing from John once a month. Coming up next, Ryan Delahanty will chat about the newest episode of AMI-TV's Our Community. Ryan Delahanty, news quiz champion for the week. His prize, getting to come back for another appearance on the show. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown. Ryan Delahanty is a content development specialist for AMI based in Atlantic Canada. He won the news quiz yesterday and his reward is coming on to give you a regional report. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Good morning. Nice to be back, Dave. I'm still uh, in my victory celebrations, but I thought I'd take a break to uh, join you today. I'm surprised the people of Halifax didn't surround you with bottles of champagne yesterday and just drench you with your with your big win. Hey, Ryan. We're working on a parade. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you know, just a small parade. Doesn't need to be a big one. Doesn't even need to be down Argyle Street. It can be one of the smaller streets for the parade. Uh, Ryan, let's reflect on a show that meant a lot to both of us. AMI This Week wrapped up its, I think it's 10 years of broadcasting last week uh, for the last ever episode before the show uh, moved on. So we celebrated 10 years last week with the very last episode. And I know you've been working with the Halifax team over the years. And I'm wondering if you have any memories of ATW pieces. Quite a few. It was really exciting when we got to contribute. I think we started participating in the show back in 2013 when our first uh, bureau producer was brought on board. We got uh, Andrew Pickup as a videographer. And I have lots of really fond memories from all the people we met, the different events we got to attend. A couple that maybe jump out to me would be the truck convoy for Special Olympics. And this was a fundraising event where 100 big rigs uh, left a military base, I think it was Shearwater, and drove in convoy formation across the city to raise funds and awareness, each truck with a Special Olympian riding shotgun. Um, we got them departing from the base and then raced to find a scenic overlook to uh, get a shot of all these big rigs coming around the bend with the water in the background. It was quite lovely. Uh, but then we were stuck behind a convoy of 100 trucks and wanted to beat them back to the military base to get their warm reception as they arrived. And so pulled out a map, tried to see if there was a shortcut <laughs> where we weren't stuck behind them in traffic and could kind of scoot, got back, parked, got the camera out, and then they all started arriving. So it was pretty thrilling. Uh, you know, it was a pretty novel experience for me. Uh, we had a similar experience at the uh, Pumpkin Regatta in Windsor, Nova Scotia. So there every year, uh, people would go to Dill's Farm, which is quite famous, uh, home of the Long Pond, where uh, some people claim to be the birthplace of hockey. Uh, and so uh, there they take the giant pumpkins, hollow them out, hopefully not too much, carve them into boats, and then paddle these giant pumpkins across uh, the lake there. And so similarly, uh, everybody's in town for the big event. Uh, we try to, you know, get everybody launching and then race our way across the lake to the finish line uh, to get everybody arriving. So that was also somewhat thrilling. Uh, some kind of surreal moments. There was Halley Pack, which was a short-lived uh, life-size game of Pac-Man through downtown streets in Halifax with people in ghost and Pac-Man costumes. <laughs> uh, so that was a lot of fun to get that checked out. Um, things like the accessible tall ship that visited were really remarkable. Uh, we also got to attend the 2013 Mobility Cup, uh, which was in Halifax. The organizers were so gracious, such great hosts. Uh, they organized a little boat to take us out and getting footage from the water of the racing action. Uh, and they actually just held their 2022 edition in North Sydney the other week. Uh, I met somebody on the plane who was going there to volunteer. So uh, still a, a great event every year, mm. uh, wherever that is in Canada. Uh, and there's just so many others. It's hard to mention them all, but it was just such a, a great opportunity to get out in the community, meet so many interesting people, uh, many that we would come to work with uh, in more detail mm -hmm. uh, more extensively in later years. Like in uh, 2014, we attended the Art of Disability Festival, where we first met author uh, Vicky Levac, uh, who uh, was there to promote uh, a piece of uh, erotic vampire fiction. Uh, but she's gone on to be a very prominent disability activist in Halifax. 
Ryan, one of the things that as I draw a connecting line through all of those pieces that you just mentioned, so much of AMI this week was about connecting to the community and going to community events, being present. When I first first started working for AMI in the spring of 2011, I don't even know if necessarily AMI this week was sort of the show that it eventually became. But the first ever story I did for AMI was at a Canadian Paralympic Committee event setting up ahead of the London 2012 Olympics or Paralympics. And it was just an event where we were present and meeting people involved. The second event I ever covered for AMI in the fall of 2011 was when, at the time, what was Courage Canada, which eventually became Canadian Blind Hockey, was doing their rollerblading across the country. And we got to meet people like Mark DeMontis and Matt Morrow and learn about what their vision was for this organization that has just grown and grown and grown over over the years similar for me man I, all these times i got to spend out in the field i remember going to like a million different kind of fund, fundraising events like the easter seals drop zone getting an opportunity to go to an event for an organization that was resettling syrian refugees and getting to meet some of the refugees and learn about the business they were starting in the ottawa area and talking about social inclusion as a broad fabric beyond just disability the thing about AMI this week that made it wonderful was that so many times it was so deeply integrated and present in the community in real time. Absolutely. And it was such a, a privilege to be a part of that. And, you know, we can still do it, but maybe not at the uh, same volume, being able to get out and do these shorter uh, stories and just kind of be wherever the community is. So, uh, you know, and it would just made such a great foundation to uh, to get connected to all these organizations and build those relationships that we're able to uh you know, utilize them and get their content uh, in different ways on the channel. But it yeah. was uh, such a, a an amazing time. So it was really great to be a part of it. And it's a huge credit to the producers and videographers who unfortunately were let go through some restructuring at AMI. The work they did in the field making content for this network for years and years you cannot replicate what they did with that in the field work so we're going to miss all those folks uh desperately and there's certainly a lot of folks who are still hanging around for example we got alex Smythe. we picked him away from the atw family and michelle dudas is still in the work and there's lots of the other reporters who are still out there within the company but uh we're definitely going to miss the execution of that show and what it had to offer for this network and for the audience so uh a bon voyage to ami this week but speaking of ami programming our community still kicking about including a new episode vicky's fight for freedom you just mentioned vicky levesque so what can you tell us about vicky's fight for freedom this new episode of our community when we first met Vicky uh, at that Art of Disability Festival, um, didn't really know her full story, just saw her representing the book that she had published. Um, but she's become such a prominent member of the community, a uh, real activist. And um, she started to make the news a little bit more last year uh, in relation to this longstanding human rights complaint against the province I've updated you on a few times uh, related to the warehousing of people with disabilities and not having proper uh, sort of small options group settings in the community. 
And so she spent the entirety of her 20s living in a nursing home as there were no appropriate assisted living options, uh, you know, properly in the city. And she'd become a very vocal critic of the government's lack of action on this issue. And last year she was selected, probably because she was such a vocal critic, to be part of a pilot project that was to test out a new assisted living scenario that's far better integrated into the actual community. And so this documentary uh, with Rachel Bauer Productions, who we've worked with a few times and other our community episodes, she did a great profile of artist Anna Kwan. Uh, we took a similar approach where Vicky is the narrator. She is the writer of this documentary and really giving a first person account of her experience uh, being selected for this um, pilot project. Uh, the slow unfolding of things, you know, government projects don't always go according to schedule. And, uh, and then the bigger picture of this human rights case and her fighting for housing, not just for herself, but for other people with disabilities. And she's been very active fighting uh, homelessness issues and uh, the underhoused uh, and advocating on their behalf. So really amazing lady and wanted to show uh, kind of her story and why this is so important to her. And uh, so you can check out that documentary on ami.ca on our YouTube. Uh, and also if you're in Halifax, she actually has a one woman show at the Halifax Fringe Festival. There's a performance tonight at about 8.50 p.m. And then again on Friday. So if you want to see Vicky's show, Musings of a Mad Woman, uh, you can visit halifaxfringe.ca for details and tickets there. You've actually got a clip here that you wanted us to share of Vicky's fight for freedom. This is a clip of Vicky speaking. Let's roll it. I call this a fight for freedom because no one should be warehoused. No one should be forced to live somewhere they don't want to simply because of who they are and what they need. Claire McNeil is a Tahoe legal aid lawyer who focuses on human rights. She recently presented a case to the Court of Appeal of Nova Scotia, which found that there is systematic discrimination in this province against people with disabilities um, to get access to the community. She said, would you like to get out of the nursing home? And I said, wait, that's an option? And she said, well, technically what they're doing to you is against your human rights. So, hell yeah, it's an option. And I said, oh, well, if it's legally wrong and not just morally wrong, then we should do something about that. Vicky's Fight for Freedom, as Ryan mentioned, can be found on AMI.ca or on the AMI-tv app for Android or Apple devices. Ryan, once we've made the trip into those devices or onto that website, you wanted to give one more shout out to an episode of our community that was a little bit more on the risque side. So my ears are perked up. I don't know if it's vampire erotica, but tell me about accessing pleasure. Uh, unfortunately, no, well, Maybe fortunately for this instance, uh, not vampire erotica, but uh, it's related to the Tetris Society, who uh, I think a lot of us have been big fans of. They do some amazing work across the country, uh, designing different gadgets and custom solutions for people with disabilities where there's not a uh, sort of off the shelf mass market product available to serve that purpose. So I was really curious to hear they were partnering here in Halifax with Venus Envy, an award winning education based sex shop and bookstore for a pilot project making more 
accessible sex toys for people with disabilities. Uh, so working again with Flow Video, who's made a few of our communities for us, uh, we were able to meet one of the participants and the representatives from, from Tetra, Venus Envy, and the Dalhousie engineering students who volunteered their expertise to create a custom device. So really interesting seeing uh, the need for it expressed, uh, kind of what's on the market now and uh, these students in their process with uh, taking on something I think a little bit different than what their curriculum would offer. Um, so you can also check out that episode, as you said, on the app and uh, ami.ca. And if you're interested in Tetra and all the things they do, sex toy related or not, uh, TetraCon 2022 actually starts tomorrow. It's a free virtual event for anybody across Canada. And you can register now by visiting tetrasociety.org slash TetraCon. TetraSociety.org. That is some good stuff right there. They do fantastic work. We've talked about them a bunch of times on the show, and we're always delighted when we get the chance to do it. Just like we're always delighted to catch up with you, Ryan. You have yourself a great day out there in Halifax, and we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thanks. That is Ryan Delahanty, a content development specialist for AMI. As mentioned, you can find these episodes of our community or the AMI This Week archive at ami.ca. You can also find them on our app, the AMI-tv app for Apple and Android, or head over to our YouTube page. You can also find featured clips from uh, Now with Dave Brown on the YouTube page. You should share those with your friends and be like, this is good stuff. Got to check out this Dave guy. He's very handsome and talented. Or just say, check out this Dave guy. He botched that interview. That works too. Just share. Sharing is caring. Coming up after the break, we'll catch up with Ramya Amuthan and Nazreen Abdelmajid. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Nisreen Abdelmajid is standing by and Ramya Amuthan's ready to chat it up as well. So just before we bring in Nisreen, let's say hello to Ramya, who is the co-host of Kelly and Company, which comes your way at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Ramya, good morning. Good morning. How's your Wednesday? My Wednesday's not too shabby. So what's coming up on the show today at 2 p.m. Eastern time? Well, we're excited because the new television season is here, and we know that it's like a fresh start for a lot of our networks out there, and Greg David is going to keep us posted on new and returning shows to the History Channel, CBC, and our very own AMI-TV, because nice. there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, plus um, Ryan Delahunty is featuring a couple things in, in the Atlantic, including the Over the Edge CNIB Foundation um, fundraiser that's taking place in Halifax. It's a big one. It's finally back people are excited to repel and mary mamaliti she's going to bring us back to the basics if you're a blind or low vision home cook she's giving us some safety tips and things to consider in the kitchen to make things a little bit easier for you look at ryan double dosing his way across ami audio and ami tv today making sure that everybody's included in the conversation yeah. what a spotlight guy that ryan delahanty is ramia thank you for that i'll get to remind folks 2 p.m eastern time on ami audio to catch the most recent episode of kelly and company and now we'll also include nazreen abdelmajid in this conversation hey good morning nazreen 
Good morning. So, guys, this one comes to you from the files of Dave almost being hit by a car yesterday when someone aggressively turned right on a green light the instant the walking signal activated. When I say almost got hit by a car, there, there, there was plenty of space there, but it definitely, it definitely jarred me, especially because, come on, bro, the walking man is my turn to walk, not mm-hmm. your turn to turn aggressively right. And if you really want to do that, turn right on the red like you're allowed to do. Guys, I've got a lot of pet peeves when it comes to being a pedestrian. We are all pedestrians because of our uh, status as either low vision, legally blind, etc. So, Ramya, what's your biggest pet peeve as a pedestrian? Okay, so I have a really big one, which is when cars don't line up outside the, I guess they're white lines, you know, the pedestrian crosswalk. The crosswalk, yeah. And, yeah. Yes, exactly. And they don't line align themselves outside the boundaries of the pedestrian crosswalk, but instead wait for a right turn, sometimes even wait for a straightaway um, right through my walking space. And this is extremely dangerous for me because that means that I need to either uh, maneuver myself behind the car, which is not always possible because there's cars lined up behind that vehicle, and or have to walk into traffic and around the front of the car to get back onto the sidewalk and align myself again. That's a terrible option. Absolutely. It is not an option. So what I've started to do is just wait right next to the car until they uh, feel shamed and move backwards out of my my walking um, pedestrian crosswalk and then I can keep moving forward. It is just not an option for me. And this is a huge thing that has driven me crazy since the beginning of my O&M days since I was like 13 years old. Nazreen, I heard you uh, affirm when Ramia mentioned people blocking the crosswalk. So where do you stand on that one? And do you have another pet peeve? That's the first thing that I was thinking of when uh, you sent that email, that um, pet peeve was my number one thing. But when there was no, when there's no walkway and I know, I know what you mean, Ramia, I give them Mm -hmm. the stare. Like I stare them down (laughs) while I'm walking past them. And I'm like, you should feel ashamed for that. You should. uh, yeah, and and the streetcars is another thing. I I don't know about you guys, but when I want to get into a streetcar and the cars don't give me that space to walk, that's another that's another problem for me. Can can I make a confession to you guys? I I yeah. have taken the streetcars when necessary in Toronto, but I will avoid it with all of my mm-hmm. power for the exact reason that you identified, Nazreen. I just mm-hmm. find getting to the door of the streetcar strikes me as such a dangerous proposition because of Absolutely. the way you oftentimes have to cross traffic. Now there are certain spots where like you're actually on an elevated platform in the middle of the street. That seems a little bit safer, but even getting to that platform can be a little bit trippy. Ramya, what about you? Do you try to avoid the streetcars or do you just accept that risk for sure oh no i do not accept the risk um i find it very difficult to just maneuver at any given time of day but especially at nighttime dave where my vision uh is almost completely gone my night blindness really kicks in and so it's super unsafe you have to cross in the middle of an intersection to get to the right side of the the like the pickup for the streetcars sometimes you're not even aware of which side the streetcar actually stops on I've, I've experienced this as well. I'm like, oh, there's a pattern to this. No, there's no rhyme or reason. Sometimes it's on the east. Sometimes it's on the west. You have no clue where it will stop. And yeah, you can't rely on cars, um, especially with downtown traffic. In terms of another pet peeve, I do want to end this on positivity, but I, but I have a couple other pet peeves that I want sort of quick takes on here. What about uh, vehicles 
on the sidewalks, the uh, the bicycles, the the scooters, and I, I don't mean like the mobility scooters. I mean like scooter scooters. Uh, Nazreen, how do you feel as those guys are buzzing by you on the sidewalk? It's annoying, but I have I am one of those types of people that are on the scooters on the sidewalk as well. No. <laughs> so I have to admit oh, that. Oh, confession to time with Nazreen Abdel Majid. But, but. I do make so much space for people walking because I know how annoying it is when people are just, you know, going past you in and out. So um, it, it is unsafe for the people that are walking, but I do slow down. You know, I do consider that for sure. Don't get me wrong. I do empathize with folks who are using those those scooters and those bicycles because we haven't built proper bike infrastructure around the city. So I do understand that for safety reasons, sometimes you do have to make your way into these spaces. Ramya, quick take on people taking their vehicles onto the sidewalks. Yeah, I, I don't run into as much of this. I guess if you're like... It, if you're make uh, what do you call it using scooters, you might be paying attention more to those. Uh, I found LA was a disaster with people leaving scooters all over the sidewalk, so that was uh, that's what sticks in my mind. But you know what I do find on the sidewalks really annoying? Um, garbage day and recycling oh, day. I know, oh. I know, it's awesome that we recycle and all this stuff, but really, I think we need a better system for where we place our recycling bins. Sidewalks are a disaster. See, that's a good take by Rumia right there. I like that one. Uh, one more pet peeve here. I don't like it when people walk in flocks. I don't like it when people are walking three, oh, three wide yes. down the sidewalk. And I'm a pretty fast walker for a big guy. And uh, I really don't like it when they sort of give me the look as if I'm inconveniencing them as I'm trying to roll through. And Nazreen, I heard some affirmation there. So hit me with it. This is not just the sidewalk. It's not a sidewalk problem. It's a mall problem. It's uh, a school problem. It was always a pet peeve of mine in every location I can think of where they just walk in a line and I'm just trying to go around them. And I'm I'm a fast paced walker as well. It just give me that space. Just give me that space instead of me just getting on the street just to move past you guys. Mm. I can't. Yeah, we've got less than two minutes on the clock here, guys, but I want to end on positivity. And I had a moment this morning that filled me with joy as I walked by my local park on the way to work and somebody's dog ran up to me and started licking me and they let me play with him. Mm -hmm. And I asked if I could bring him to work and they said no. And that was disappointing. But I love (laughs) a random dog encounter where the owner lets me play with the dog. That's my favorite thing as a pedestrian. Ramya, what about you? Yeah, I'll extend on that, Dave. Totally two thumbs up. The dog culture in Toronto is awesome. Because I have a dog, I notice it way more, and especially parks and trails. People are just friendly. It feels so uncity like when you're walking around and people are actually saying good morning to you and having a chat and taking their time and recommending coffee places. It's so lovely. <laughs> oh, a coffee recommendation. I like that too. Nazreen, 30 seconds on the clock. The greatest joy for you as a pedestrian. It doesn't happen as often, but yeah, when somebody says good morning or or uh, smiles at you, it makes such a big difference to your day, especially when you're just, you know, not feeling it. You're not feeling good that day. It does make a big difference in my life. Oh, if you like that in your life, then you need to move out of Southern Ontario. Go move, go move to Ottawa. Go move to the prairies. People are going to be I've hitting noticed- you with good mornings left, right, and center. Oh, good morning there. Oh, beautiful day outside. Nice day. Oh, uh, guys. Such a big difference in Mississauga and Guelph. Guelph, everybody <laughs> says good morning, Ooh, good day, whatever. Oh, morning. <laughs> guys, we got to go. That's that's Nazreen and Ramya. I'm Dave. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. 
Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.